You sisters know that my skin has been glowing lately. And I'm here to tell you my secret. Oak Essentials. You've heard us talk about their line of luxurious products before, and we're so excited to have them as a sponsor of OK Sister Podcast because now you can join in on the glowy goodness. You know Oak Essentials is legit because it was created by none other than our favorite brand ever, Jenny Kane. Oak Essentials is known for its simple approach to self-care with a lineup of foundational skincare staples made with high-quality ingredients that drive results. It aims to unlock healthy, glowing skin with decadent and hydrating ingredients that give you a luxe, dewy glow. I won't shut up about the Moisture Rich Balm. It's a nutrient-rich balm that supports collagen production and delivers serious hydration for a luminous glow. And a luminous glow indeed. The way my skin feels like butter after applying this balm. This balm will make you never want to wear makeup again. And you can apply generously during your night routine to lock in moisture as you dream. It's the definition of beauty sleep. Treat yourself or someone else this season. You sisters will get 15% off and a free organic honey-based restorative mask with their first order. Oh my God, what a deal. When you use code OKSIS15 at checkout. That's right. 15% off plus a gift with your first order at O-A-K-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S.com. Promo code OKSIS15, OKAYSIS15. Go ahead and treat yourself. From luxurious skincare to meaningful self care, you deserve it. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to OK Sis Podcast. Hi, sisters. I'm Maddie. And I'm Scout. And we are sisters IRL. I'm the older one. Yes, Scout. We know. Here at OK Sis, we believe women are multifaceted. Which is why you can expect sisterly banter on a wide range of topics such as pop culture, our entrepreneurial journeys, and mental health routines. We promise it'll be informative. And silly. As long as you don't get too loud, Mads. Welcome to the sisterhood. Hello and welcome back to OKSIS Podcast. This is Scout Sophia Sobel, a.k.a. Mad's older sister. And today, sisters, you just have me. Ever since my daughter was born, Lily Constantine Sobel, I have been wanting to record my birth story by myself, solo, on a mic. I wanted to go through the whole thing, one, to remember it and savor that story forever to savor the first few weeks of her life, the way she came into this world, the way I was feeling, all the details. And two, I wanted to record it close, as close to her birth as possible because I didn't want to forget all the details, but I also didn't want to record it too close to her birth because then I'd be crying and like a hot mess. So I am currently four and a half weeks postpartum. My Lily girl is four weeks old, which is crazy and beautiful and amazing. And I said, you know what? I think now is the perfect time to hop on the mic and record my whole birth story start to finish so that I can have it here so I can share it with all of you sisters and so that I can remember all the little details of how this little precious girl came here into my life. So for those who are new and are like, oh, who's Scout and what's OK Sis and who's Maddie and who's Lily? Um, this is a podcast that I host with my sister that I co-host with my younger sister Mads. We usually are on every episode together, but for the past couple episodes, she has been hosting solo since I've been on maternity leave. And today I kicked her off the podcast because I just wanted this episode to be me. But for other episodes, previous episodes, you can expect a lot of sisterly banter. We interview a lot of female founders, female entrepreneurs, authors, influencers, content creators, thought leaders, etc. And we really dive into mental health, entrepreneurship, pop culture. We get serious. We get silly. We have the whole range of spectrum and everything in between. But for today, sisters, okay, I guess I will dive in. I'm like, where do I even start with this birth story? I guess we can start a couple weeks or about, you know, eight months, nine months um, pregnant. We'll start there. So at around my third, God, I already forgot the fucking weeks that go into pregnancy. It's amazing how much you forget. <laughs> um, around 36 weeks. Yes, it was at my 36-week checkup. 
we confirmed that my baby girl was breech. And for those who are not moms and don't know a lot about pregnancy, because I did not know this terminology before I got pregnant, breech means that their head is up. So their he- their head is up and their feet are down. And towards the end of your pregnancy in the third trimester, they are supposed to flip and their head is supposed to be down so that they get ready to come through the vaginal canal. So her head was up and she was actually in what they call a frank breech position, which means her head was up and her legs were up and her butt was down. So they call it like being like a little taco. And so once I found out she was breech, uh, the doctor, my friends, my doula, everybody, every single person was like, okay, we got to flip the baby. We got to flip the baby. So there's a bunch of things that one can do manually or manually or holistically, whatever, to flip a baby. And the purpose of that is because if the baby doesn't flip, the doctor will not deliver a breech baby, which means you have to have a C-section. So right away, we scheduled the C-section for 39 weeks um, because a baby is full term 37 weeks and 39 weeks is the earliest they'll do a C-section, which is one week before her due date. So uh, this is a really weird part of the pregnancy for me because Everybody I talked to and was consulting with, they were giving me tips on how to flip my baby, how to make Lily naturally flip over and have her head down. So I got acupuncture. I did these moxa pressure points on my feet every single day. There's certain positions you can get into. Um, And there's a manual procedure where the doctor will actually take you to the hospital and with her hands on the outside of your belly, place pressure, which is very painful to to move your baby. So in that time, you know, I'm someone who goes all in on something. I'm someone who, when I feel very strongly about um, an area or a direction or something I want to do or a place I want to go, I really go all in. And there was something about me that was not doing the most to flip Lily. I, it just didn't feel, it felt really forced. It felt like I was pushing something that was not supposed to happen, if that makes sense. Like I would do some of the inversions in the moxa for a week and I would do certain things. And then I would just be like, I don't know. I I just don't, there was something in me intuitively that was telling me that this baby one is not going to flip and two, that I actually shouldn't flip her and that she's meant to come into this world via C-section. I would be doing a lot of meditations and I would literally see her coming above. Like when you get a C-section, they have a uh, like a wall up and then they put the wall down. It's made of paper or whatever. I don't know. And they, they lift your baby up so you can see her. And I would just get these downloads and these visions from my meditations of her being born that way. And I remember thinking to myself, when I try to do things to naturally flip her, you know, taking the herbs and the supplements and the inversions and the acupressure points, etc., or even considering the manual procedure to flip her, something in my body was a full stop no. I just felt extremely constricted by the idea and I didn't want to move forward in any capacity. And so this was kind of a tough couple weeks for me because I was struggling with, well, do I want to be able to say at the end of the day I did all I could to flip her or am I just receiving internal guidance and downloads and my intuition is telling me to leave things alone and to not to no longer be in control and to let the natural course of how my baby wants to come into this world and how God wants her to come into this world happen. And I struggled with it because I'm such a doer. I go hard on things that I want. And something in my body was telling me to stop, was telling me that my job was over, that I had grown her beautifully in my belly. And now it was her turn to decide how she wants to be born. And that something was intuitively pulling me and telling me that she's supposed to come into this world via C-section. And so I completely trusted these intuitive hits, these downloads, these visualizations I was having, my meditations. It felt as if something greater, the universe, was telling me to surrender and to let the rest of the pregnancy go the way it's supposed to go versus controlling or manipulating or trying to change something about the way it is right now and that the way it is right now is perfect and it is the way Lily is meant to come into this world. So I completely surrendered. I stopped trying to flip her. I stopped doing the inversions. I stopped doing everything. And I just trusted that if she were to flip, that's how she wants to come into this world. And if she was not going to flip, then she was meant to come into this world via a C-section. And so that took a lot. 
I don't want to say the word courage necessarily, but I think it took a lot of self-awareness and fine-tunement within myself to recognize that I was being told to do a bunch of things to control or change the situation, but I was getting the intuition and the downloads to not do that, and I listened to that call. I listened to that very abstract spiritual call, and so I surrendered and gave into the process. I was like, I am no longer in control here. This is between my baby and God, and whatever way she is born is the way she's literally supposed to be born. It was the way she created in her soul contract before I got pregnant and before she decided to come here and incarnate as a human. So I stopped trying to control the way I wanted my baby to be born and I allowed her to choose the way she wanted to be born. Now, this came with a little bit of grief because I was so excited to, I was actually really excited to go into labor and to have contractions and push my baby out. I really, really was. I was looking at it as a spiritual experience. I was looking at it as an opportunity for my husband, Adam, and I to really have this profound experience together. It was an opportunity for him to take care of me in that process and Lily in that process and help usher in our baby in a way that felt extremely spiritual. And so I had an idea of what I wanted, not in the sense of like a birth plan of this is going to happen and this is going to happen because I've never heard anyone who's had a birth plan and the birth plan went according to plan. But it was just more, I was really excited to experience that human experience of going into labor and vaginally birthing your baby that women who biologically carry their women, sorry, women who biologically carry their babies are are able to have. And so I had to grieve that idea that I wasn't going to have this, oh my God, my water broke or, oh my God, I'm going through contractions. Let's get to the hospital and, and that whole experience because with a C-section, it's scheduled. And that's a very, um, it's a very odd thing to wrap your head around. It doesn't, it almost like doesn't feel natural, you know, like, oh, I have, a, I have an appointment to go have my baby. So I really had to grieve that process or grieve the fact that I wasn't going to have a vaginal natural birth. If I was going to have a vaginal natural birth, I had a bunch of plans. Um, and taking an epidural or not taking an epidural was a decision that I was going to make in the moment. Because the minute I realized that women are told, oh, you have to take the epidural, we don't even entertain the option of not taking an epidural. And so I really wanted to be open about the process and see how it felt, especially since when my doula explained it to me going into active labor, it's like waves that come and they're really intense and then they ease out. And I was like, oh, that's how I handle my emotions, right? Like I feel really, really intense waves and I feel it fully and then it it kind of... uh, you know, lets down and eases up. And so um, I was going to, I was open to the option of not taking an epidural and I was open to the option of if I needed it, taking it. I was very, but I wanted to try and see what the experience was like first. But anyways, that went out the window when I had to have a C-section. So (sighs) 36 weeks, baby is breech. I'm pretty sure it was 36 weeks. Yeah. And we scheduled a C-section for her at 39 weeks. So the week and a half leading up to my C-section appointment, I was having symptoms of labor. That was early labor, but I never went into active labor. So about a week before, I thought my water broke because I had a larger amount of discharge. Like all of a sudden, my underwear was wet in the morning. And so I went in and thought that because if your water breaks and you're having a C-section, you have to immediately go in and have the C-section at that moment. So the Tuesday before, like the Tuesday, a week before the C-section, a week and a day before the C-section, I thought my water broke. So we went in to labor and delivery and they confirmed my, my water had not in fact broken, but that I was having a bunch of contractions, like a lot of small contractions that they were seeing on the monitor. And I, at that point, was having like a contraction here and there. And it was very abnormal. It wasn't consistent. It wasn't intense enough to be considered active labor. So for the whole week before, a week and a couple of days before the C-section, I was actually going through early labor symptoms. And a couple of days before the C-section, I was having intense contractions randomly. Like one put me on my knees. Like I had to physically go on my knees and I was screaming through it. And so it was interesting. It was definitely a transitionary period, it felt like. It was this weird, like, I'm not in labor, but, you know, I'm having really bad lower back pain, and I'm having these contractions randomly. 
Um, I'm experiencing fatigue. I'm at all. There's a bunch of, uh, I'm not going to get into like all of the body physical symptoms because if I've learned anything, pregnancy and birth is like a crazy physical symptom experience. But I was almost in this transitional portal and I was like, okay, am I going to go into active labor before my C-section? Um, or not. And it turned out that I did not go into active labor before my C-section. I was just in early labor for a very long time. And so naturally I was leaning into the pros and perks of a C-section. So I got my hair done. I got my nails done. I got my eyebrows done like within two days of her birth date, um, her birthday, her first, the day she came into this world. And so I woke up the day of her C-section. I wasn't allowed to eat for eight hours before, and the C-section was scheduled for 2 p.m. So I woke up at like 5, 8, because I had to stop eating at 6, got some caffeine in me, so I didn't have a caffeine headache. And it was really hard to sleep the night before because, again, like most women or women who have a vaginal natural birth, they don't know when their baby's coming. I knew exactly when my baby was coming. It was a very weird situation. So I couldn't sleep the night before. I was like so restless the whole morning. I was like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. I want to get to the point where we're, you know, packing up the car and going to the hospital. And once that happened, once we were in the car on the way to the hospital, I became extremely calm. I had no anxiety. I had excitement-ish, but it was it was almost like this very strange calmness came over me and I was really, really at peace. And I was happy, but I, I just, I almost felt like a blank slate. Looking back, that's a really great way to describe it. I was like this blank slate who had no idea what was about to happen to her, who didn't put any projections on what the C-section was going to be like or what birth was going to be like or what having a newborn was going to be like. And so I felt as if I was a complete blank slate that was going in that was just ready to be colored and pictured and storied with this experience that was about to happen to me. So we check into the hospital. We go into a pre-operating room and I meet with the nurses. They're doing all sorts of tests to make sure I'm all good. My blood test, my this, my that. They're talking through some of the points of the C-section, etc. So we check in two hours before the scheduled C-section and yeah, I just remember being very calm. I don't remember being anxious or it was exciting, but it was, it was calm. Sisters, my goal these days is to always look put together when I leave the house. Nothing over the top or super dressed up or anything like that. I just want to look put together and feel good about what I'm wearing in an effortless yet refined way. When I look at my closet every single morning and think about what I can wear that is chic and intentional, I usually end up grabbing one of my Jenny Kane sweaters and I always end up loving the way I look and the way I feel in them. You all know, sisters, that when I envision my highest self, I am wearing Jenny Kane. Their sweaters are the quintessential must-have item. I cannot stop wearing my Marina set. I throw it on and immediately feel like I'm in a Nancy Myers movie. Like I could just walk on the beach in Santa Barbara. It is the coastal grandma aesthetic. My favorite Jenny Kane sweater right now is their everyday sweater in taupe. This is the definition of a staple that every woman must have in their wardrobe. Sisters, trust me on this one. I wear it with leggings, oversized jeans and a little kitten heel or a silk maxi skirt. Legit, Mads and I are so obsessed with wearing our Johnny Kane sweaters that we've literally shown up both wearing the same sweater once, the white alpaca cocoon crew neck, which is this deliciously oversized sweater. Yeah, that moment takes the cake. Both of us walking in with our matching Jenny Kane sweaters. We're obsessed. Can't take them off. Wearing them every day. The type of staples that save your outfit. That is what I love about their entire collection. It is truly the art of simplicity. They focus on comfort, quality, and timeless designs. You can curate a wardrobe that never goes out of style. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code OKSIS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code OKSIS. O-K-A-Y-S-I-S. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Ever since having a baby, I've been extremely conscious about what I spend my money on and which products I use. And clothing is no different. I want my wardrobe to be sustainable, good quality, and timeless. 
You have to be talking about Whimsy and Roe, right? Whimsy and Roe is an LA-grown, eco-conscious brand born out of the love for cute, comfy, and classic styles. Every piece is made by women for women. Quality goods, local production, natural and organic fabrics. Yes, please give me all the linens. Just like OK Sister, Whimsy and Row is based on the idea that women are multidimensional. There's a balance of flirty feminine and minimal masculine in all of our wardrobes, and Whimsy and Row means exactly that. From special occasions to everyday effortless styles, their clothing is meant to mix and match and wear on repeat. I have been wearing their Kira pant in black linen probably three times a week. Sisters, if you've been listening to this podcast or following me on Instagram, you know that Whimsy and Rose Kira Pant in Black Linen is a sisterhood staple at this point. Founder Rachel Temko created the brand back in 2014 because she wanted to create an approachable and inclusive brand that cared for the people and the planet first. Get the full Whimsy experience IRL at their Venice location or shop online at whimsyandrow.com. Their store in Venice is so cute, I can attest. And if you're in LA, I highly recommend stopping by. They are always putting on these amazing community events. They just launched their spring summer collection and we will be living in it all summer long. Visit their website, whimsyandrow.com. That's W-H-I-M-S-Y-A-N-D-R-O-W.com and use code OKSISTER for 15% off. And then once it was, you know, our appointment to go into the operating room, which again, weird concept in my opinion, but that's the concept. That's what was happening. They rolled us over to the operating room. The one thing that I did to warm up the experience was I had a uh, a photo, uh, a frame, a frame, and I put four photos in them. Uh, one, two photos of my husband's grandmas who have passed, a photo of my grandma who passed earlier this year, and a photo of my stepmom who passed a couple years ago. I wanted to have them in the room with me so I had a beautiful frame I had their four photos and I put it in a place where I could look over and see their faces during birth and so that was a really beautiful touch that I wanted um, that I made sure to have present in the room so they wheel us over Adam's like in full you know he's got his little hair mask and he's in like a full outfit like I don't know like a onesie those those hospital onesie things you know what I'm talking about um, to sterilize whatever and so we get to the operating room and they give me the anesthesia, but they don't allow the spouse or the partner or the person who is present to support the mom birthing if they have anyone there with them. Um, they don't let them in the room during that. And I, it's a very fucking good call. So <laughs> Adam stayed outside of the room while I got my anesthesia. And the way they give anesthesia or the way they gave me the anesthesia was I sat at the edge of the table and I held on to the nurse in front of me and the anesthesiologist, I guess, I didn't see it, inserted like a needle or something into my spine. I don't know. I didn't see it. I barely felt it. They numbed the whole area. It was great. And then they laid me down and I was warned that this was going to happen, which I think is why they keep the spouse outside because it can feel like something is wrong with me, but nothing was wrong with me. This was totally normal. I... It was hard to breathe and I felt like I was going to throw up and before my, you know, boob down of my body went numb, I felt like this tingling sensation and so I was like, I couldn't breathe, I'm going to throw up and I started having some anxiety and kind of freaking out laying down on the operating table. The operating room where they have a C-section is very sterile. It literally looks like a fucking surgery room, so it's not the most um, calming or aesthetically warm place. So I'm sitting here. I just got anesthesia. I'm not with my husband. I'm about to have surgery and I feel like I'm going to throw up and that I can't breathe. And then the anesthesiologist manually altered and stabilized my blood pressure, which in turn got rid of the nausea and I could breathe again. And then I felt totally fine. So once I felt totally fine, totally peaceful, like you just couldn't feel my body. Um, they brought Adam back in and Adam sat next to my head. And they put this wall up in between. It's like a paper wall. So I couldn't see the surgery happening. So the wall was like boob up essentially. like Or maybe even like chin up. Like I think it was actually in front of my boobs. Like right on my chest. 
So we sat there with the anesthesiologist and very, you know, funny kind of weird story is that my anesthesiologist was really into Marvel and we were talking about that while he was giving me my anesthesia, 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 Oy. you know what I'm trying to say? Um, because he was trying to distract me, right? So he's talking about, he's like a really big Marvel fan and I'm a Marvel fan. So we were talking about Thor and Wanda and Iron Man and who our favorite character was. But then he like didn't stop talking to Adam and I about Marvel during the fucking procedure and Adam and I were like trying to have a moment and look into each other's eyes we're like we're about to meet our daughter and this anesthesiologist is like so who's your favorite Marvel character and were you born in San Diego and what do you do for work and we're like dude we're about to meet our child like we don't want to talk to you but in that moment I just remember smiling and laughing at Adam because I had truly truly let go and surrendered into whatever that experience was going to be like and there was no part of me that was angry that he was talking. I just laughed and looked at Adam and I was like, of course, you know, this is, you can't, you try so hard to control your birth. And that's something that I recognized. You want it to look like this. You want this song playing. You want to feel a certain type of way. But in reality, there's, there's none of that. Like you can't control even a sliver of it. And so in that moment, I just laughed and I was like, whatever like I didn't I wasn't annoyed I didn't care I was like this is part of our birth story and it's fucking hilarious and so Adam and I just looked into each other's eyes and smiled and laughed together and then the doctor said she's going in this was my gynecologist which is also a perk of a c-section is that 100% you know that your doctor is going to be the one that delivers your baby so she was doing the surgery which I felt really great about since I knew her She's young. I think she's like 35. She was like, don't worry, girl. She had a C-section as well. She was like, I'm going to put your incision so low that you won't be able to see it even where you, when you wear a bikini. She was like, I was just in Cabo and no one could see mine. So I was like, okay, good. She knows what I want. <clears throat> she knows that I want it to be, you know, <laughs> cosmetically as great as possible. Um, so the incision was below my bikini line. It's, it is. I have one. It, I have an incision. It is below the bikini line, which is amazing. So once it heals and I wear a bathing suit, you won't be able to see it. So she said, I'm going in. And at that point, you know, the drugs obviously had taken over my body, but they don't take over your head. But there's so much adrenaline and it's such a crazy fucking moment that you feel high, right? But you know that it's not drug-induced high. You know it's just circumstantial and hormonally and like nerves high. So she said she's going in. And what it felt like, honestly, it felt as if she was just tugging in my belly. That's the only way I can describe it. Like I felt pressure. I felt tugging, but I felt no pain at all. And the whole thing was like maybe four minutes. I don't know. Like it was so fast. And all of a sudden she goes, are you ready to meet your baby? It's almost time. And I'm like, holy shit, that was really fast. She literally just went in. She like goes in, makes an incision, gets the baby out. They put the curtain down. That's what it's called, not a wall, a curtain. They put the curtain down a little bit and my doctor is holding my baby up in the air and I see Lily for the first time. And it was like, I remember thinking it was like three quarters of a second. I don't even think it was one second that I saw her. But they held her up. And she was obviously covered in like all of the stuff from your body and there's words for it and blood and whatever. And um, the minute I saw her, I just started bawling, like hysterically bawling. I just, it, it, it's a moment that I will absolutely never forget seeing your daughter, your baby for the first time knowing that she just came out of your body, knowing that she's been in your body the whole time, meeting the, the little girl that's been in my body that I couldn't conceptualize or meet or see or really even understand until that moment. It's so surreal. It's so surreal. And it's beautiful. And it's indescribable. It really, really is. She was so chunky and cute and just... It was, it was the best moment of my life. It really, really, well, everything they say, it's true. And, um, yeah, just that three quarters of a second, three quarters of a second was the most profound, surreal moment ever.
And um, yeah, I like almost don't even want to move on with the story because that was the best thing I've ever experienced. The best thing I've ever experienced. Um, but okay, I'll, I'll keep going. So <laughs> because she's a C-section baby, they immediately move her over to the nurse's station to make sure she's breathing, etc. And so Adam went over, cut the umbilical cord, and they were with, at, she was with Adam and the nurses for like maybe a minute and a half, and then they brought her over to me. I'm still laying there. Obviously, the doctors are now stitching me up. And Adam got a glimpse of everything and saw a lot of blood and got a little concerned and asked if that was a normal amount of blood, to which the anesthesiologist said yes. However, um, later on, they did tell me that I lost more blood than usual. So they ended up monitoring me, which is another part of the story. No big deal. I was totally fine. Um, But then they bring Lily back and they put her on my chest for the first time. And Adam is sitting next to me, next to my head. Our heads are like together and, and Lily's on my chest while I'm literally still being stitched up. I'm like being operated on. It is so fucking weird. I'm being operated on and I'm holding her on my chest. And I just remember telling her how much I love her. I think I told her that she's beautiful. I think I kissed her and then I said, you're going to love your sister Luna, <laughs> my dog Looney. Um, and it was really beautiful. The nurses were so great and we're like let me take a photo so they were taking photos they like knew that we would want photos we were totally in the moment and didn't think about that so there's some beautiful photos of me on the operating table holding her and Adam next to me and then they take her and Adam her Adam goes with her back to the the uh pre-operating room and I stay on the operating table while they continue to stitch me up and once Lily and Adam left and I'm just kind of left with the doctors and they're still, you know, finishing the operation because most of the operation is really the stitching up and the cleaning up. I remember feeling exhausted, like the adrenaline just kind of put me down and I got really sleepy and I was just laying there so happy. I was like, I've never been happier. I just had this smile on my face and I felt like I was falling into a pillow of a beautiful, beautiful dream or I was in a cloud. I can't even explain it. The hormones and the adrenaline and the emotions were at such a high that I just felt so good. And so they finished. I thought also I thought that being separated from her in that moment would freak me out. But knowing that she was with Adam, it was just like, I did it. She's here. She's safe. She was in my arms. Adam has her. Like it was the best feeling. And so they finished sewing me up. And that took about 10 to 15 minutes, I think. And um, the whole thing in general is like a 30 to 40 minute process with the actual like cutting into the in, cutting into me and getting her. That was like five minutes. It's crazy. And then they wheel me back once I'm all tied up and good and da da da. They wheel me back. Oh, I should say, though, that, um, you know, before right before they gave me the anesthesia, the nurse asked me how I'm doing. And I told her that I was so grateful to be there because three years ago, my psychiatrist and my therapist and my loved ones I was told by the doctors that I was that being pregnant off medication was too much of a risk considering the severity of my bipolar disorder. They were not confident that I could go off medication and carry my child and go through the hormonal and emotional fluctuations of pregnancy coupled with my bipolar disorder. Now, this is a story for another day, and I've, I've, I've talked a lot about my journey with mental health, but I got myself to a place through my own emotional work, through the inner work, through mindset work, through spiritual work, through intense radical acceptance of my emotions, through rewiring my belief system to believe that I'm safe in my emotions, where I got myself off medication to have this baby to carry my baby. But three years ago, I was looking into surrogacy. I had a friend who was willing to carry my child. I had the number of the doctor's office. I called and left a message. I was, I was going to go the surrogate route. And to know that in that moment, I was about to have a baby. 
that I carried, that I got off medication for, that I, I carried her when I was told that I wasn't going to be able to because my mental health was too severe. I told the nurse that as they were putting anesthesiology, anesthesia, sorry, fuck, I hate that word. As they were putting the drugs into me, I told her that I was just so grateful to be there. So grateful. So, just a side note. (laughs) Yeah, just really grateful that I was able, as difficult as my pregnancy was, because it was fucking difficult, not gonna lie. Um, I was not prepared for how strenuous my pregnancy was. Um, I was just so grateful in that moment that I knew I was about to meet her. (sighs) I say this later, but I really wish I could go over and meet her again for the first time. If I could do anything in my life again, replay one thing over and over and over, it would be the moment that I met her. Just that three quarters of a second. I could live in that three quarters of a second for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, okay. I'll get it together and continue and finish this story for you guys. (laughs) So they wheel me back to the pre-operating room where we started. And as I'm being wheeled in, Adam, my husband, is holding her. And that was the first time I saw him hold her. And I lost it. That was the second best moment of my life, was seeing him hold her. It was a heart-bursting explosion that I can't even describe. It was the most special thing I've ever seen. And then they put her on me for skin-to-skin, since we hadn't really done skin-to-skin at that point. And we did that, and she laid on me naked, and then we tried to latch her, and she latched immediately onto my boob, which was totally crazy, um, and my whole breastfeeding story journey is like a story for a, for a different day, but she latched immediately, and she just laid there on my chest naked, and I was just so smiley. The doctors and all the nurses were like, you look so happy. You look so blissful, and there was just a peace and a bliss that came over me that was so profound and so momentous and I just remember telling all the nurses and doctors like good job everybody everybody did so great I'm so grateful for all of you can we do it again I want to meet her again and that whole day I if I could sum up that day I just felt a total utter sense of bliss and peace it was just blissful peace I was smiley. I felt amazing. My hormones were surging in the right direction. I felt as if I was in heaven. I, I, it was the most magical, euphoric day ever. And um, once they, you know, weighed her, she was seven pounds, 11 ounces, and did all of her measurements and took all of my vital signs. They were a little bit concerned about the amount of blood that I had lost, so they were doing continuous tests on me. Um, My heart rate was really, really high, but I kept telling the doctor, like, I I understand that the tests are showing this, and, you know, for sure, let's monitor, but I feel really good. Like, intuitively, my body feels fine. I I don't feel like there's anything wrong, and so they just kept monitoring me, and my blood count eventually went up, which was great. Um, And then once they kind of finished all the post-operating stuff, they wheeled us into our postpartum room where we spent the next three nights and four days in because I did have a C-section and, uh, you know, got to recover from surgery. And that first night, it was just fucking awesome. Like, getting up with her in the middle of the night was incredible figuring out what this was and what to do and how to feed her and all of that stuff was exciting and new and amazing and it was Adam slept on the couch and it's just that day is a day I'll I'll always always cherish because the next day (laughs) I woke up and everything was great 
my dad came to visit. He was the first one to meet Lily. Um, my mom was supposed to actually be with me during the birth, um, but she unfortunately tested positive for COVID the day before, which she's literally never gotten COVID, and she gets COVID right before I give birth. It was the worst timing. So the next day, my dad was the first person to come and visit and hold Lily, and then by the afternoon of the next day, all of a sudden, the impact of the C-section hit me. And I don't actually want to go into the details of the C-section recovery because I went into my C-section quite blind and um, ignorant. I didn't ask a lot of questions. I didn't talk with other moms about what the C-section recovery was. They just told me, you know, some moms are like, it's going to be intense for two weeks and then you'll be better. Um, and the reason I don't necessarily want to talk so much about it here is because, you know, sometimes you hear people say, why don't people talk about this more? Because, and especially me, I'm someone who talks about all the taboo stuff. I'm someone who talks very openly about my mental health. But I, I really believe that if I had known uh, the details of the C-section recovery, I think that leading up to her birth, I would have been scared and I would have been anxious and nervous and it would have ruined that beautiful, beautiful moment and it would have ruined the entire experience um, and it, I, I wouldn't have been present in the love and in the beauty and in the point of, of being there, which is to bring my daughter to this earth. And, and so I don't want to scare any mother pregnant woman or someone who might know that they have to have a C-section for certain reasons or anyone who anyone who's pregnant and whatever I just don't want to scare anybody because I think that will rob future mothers of the most incredible moment of their life um and so I'm not going to go into the details all I will say is that the c-section recovery for me was a lot more intense and physically tolling than I ever expected and that was the most difficult part of postpartum so far for me was my c-section recovery i will say that at you know a little over four weeks postpartum i am feeling so much more normal and like myself so if there are any mamas listening who maybe are a week postpartum or a couple days postpartum or about to get a c-section and are worried in any sense please know that you will feel very normal by you know every every day gets better every day gets better by week three I felt so much more independent and mobile um just know that you recover I promise you recover and I'm not fully recovered whatsoever like at all whatsoever but I am running around I'm driving myself I'm getting my nails done I'm going to Palm Springs it's definitely so much better so any mom going through a c-section or has just gone through a c-section or is about to go through a c-section just keep your eye on the prize, which is your baby. Don't worry about what it's going to feel like afterwards. It'll come when it comes. You'll deal with it when it gets here. And DM me if you're in this situation because I got, you know, get the free to high-waisted postpartum underwear. Like, I got all the stuff that you're going to need. So DM me and I'll give you tips then. But unsolicited, I'm not going to talk about the intensity of a C-section recovery. And I just remember being like, oh, that's why everybody wanted me to flip the baby. However, I will say that... Having the C-section was such a beautiful opportunity for my husband to totally step in and take care of Lily and me in a way that was so unexpected and beautiful. Not that my husband isn't incredible all around, but you don't, you know, you, you wonder what your partner is going to be like when you have a baby. You wonder how he's going to adjust and whether he's going to like taking care of your baby or whether he's going to have that emotional connection with your baby because a lot of parents don't have an emotional connection with their baby off the bat and that's totally normal some moms don't some dads don't it's some it can take a while for them to form that bond but the minute Lily was born the minute I saw Adam take care of her the minute I saw Adam hold her he was so emotionally connected to her it was as if I was watching someone's purpose come online watching him take care of her and me in those first couple days and in the first couple weeks but in those first couple of days specifically, I'm talking about we, while we were in the hospital, it was like watching my husband meet a part of himself that he was missing. It was as if Lily was this missing component to his life. It was like watching someone meet one of their purposes in this lifetime. It was like moving poetry. I just would watch him with her and it was 
the most beautiful thing to witness. It is incredible to witness people when they are in love and in their flow and in their purpose. I keep saying that in alignment, whatever you want to call it, there is something so incredibly sacred about watching that in another person. And I got to witness that with my husband and Lily. I got to witness that in my husband. I got to witness my husband come alive in ways that I had never seen him come alive before. And he took care of everything those first couple weeks because I was unable to. I was recovering. He did everything from bringing her to me to changing her to figuring out her feeds to tracking her feeds to helping me breastfeed. Like he was like my lactation expert. He was, he, uh, I try not to have expectations about the whole thing. And he exceeded them beyond like watching Adam become Lily's father was one of the biggest honors to witness. And it was one of the most sacred moments of my life. And it is also an experience that I will cherish for the rest of my life. So yeah, Adam, Adam's fucking killing it as a dad. I am so blessed and so grateful and so in love with him in ways that I never even knew that I could be in love with him. You know, you meet your baby and, and you feel love that you've never felt before. But when you watch your partner become a parent and love being a parent, that is a type of love that I wasn't expecting. So that was also in Lily's birth story was the, the <laughs> just Adam being the fucking fucking best. So <sighs> that's her birth story. That's how it all happened. She was born on a Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022, 11222. And her, uh, the time that she was born is also a really beautiful number, but I'm not going to give it out because then I feel like everyone can go look up her astrology chart and her human design and know everything about her, which weirds me out. Um, but there were a lot of angel and beautiful numbers associated with her birth. And we went home. She was born on a Wednesday. We went home on a Saturday. And then we've just been juggling a newborn ever since. I'm going to talk a lot more in depth about the last couple weeks of having a newborn on my other podcast, the Emotional Entrepreneur Podcast, where I just do solo episodes about mental health and about my life. So if you're interested, that's where all of that is going to live. And I know I'll talk to Mads about it as well. But I really just wanted to dive into the birth story. There's a lot more that happened postpartum immediately like breastfeeding she lost a pound which is totally normal within the first two days and so we were like triple feeding we were breastfeeding but my milk hadn't necessarily come in all the way or just just colostrum so my milk hadn't come in so we would breastfeed then I would pump a little bit and then we'd feed her formula to supplement my milk came in the Sunday so that's Thursday Friday Saturday four days after giving birth my milk came in and it came in fucking hard uh, my boobs grew like 10 times the size um but breastfeeding was a little difficult we got some bloody nipples sore nipples it hurt for a while but now we are latched and we are in action but that's a whole a whole nother story um but yeah if I could sum up the last four weeks of having her I would say it's it's a spectrum that includes everything from immense beauty and love and gratitude and bliss to immense frustration and overwhelm and sadness. I am so grateful that I did not get postpartum depression and anxiety and I did a lot of things to set myself up since I was at risk for that, which I will talk about at a later point. Um, yeah, I got to talk about postpartum anxiety and depression and how I've taken care of myself during this time. For all the moms out there who are entrepreneurs, my maternity leave went beautifully. I did not check my inbox once. My team killed it at Scouts Agency. So I'm going to talk a lot about how I set my business up for that as well. These are all like postpartum stories. This episode is supposed to be my birth story. So I'm like, where do I cut this off? How much do I say? Um, but follow me on Instagram at Scouts Well because I'm going to be talking about that more and recording more solo episodes um, on the Emotional Entrepreneur Podcast as well as talking about it here on Matt with Mads on OKSIS Podcast. Um, but that's how Lily Constantine Sobel was born. And for those who were wondering about her name, uh, it took me a year and a half to get pregnant. And part of what made me feel connected to the process was I would, I, Adam and I were trying to pick names. So we picked a boy name really easily, but we were having trouble with a girl name. And we were walking and I just, we were having our Sunday walk with some tea a while ago in 2020 or 2021. And I just said, what about Lily? And 
it's not named after anybody. It's not after anything. And it both just felt so right to both of us. It was just like this, yeah, that's that's our daughter's name. There's no rhyme or reason. I mean, when you look back on it, I've had dogs called Lola and Luna. And so Lily fits very much in with that pattern. So maybe that's why it felt so familiar and so like home for us. But that's how we picked her name. It just felt really right. And then I wanted to add in a little bit of a twist. So her middle name is Constantine spelled with a K. And that's from a song that I used to listen to when Adam and I dated briefly in high school. It's a song that I associate with that time very strongly. And so we have her feminine name, Lily, her masculine name, Constantine. And so she is my Lily Constantine. And that's how we picked her name. Okay, sisters, thank you so much for listening, for all of the DMs that you sent me. I was flooded with love the minute I announced that she was born. And so I'm so grateful that she's here. Mads is equally as in love with her. It's so cute to watch Mads with her. It's so cute to watch Maddie be an aunt, which I'm sure we'll talk about even further together on this podcast when we do an episode, the two of us. But she's every time I send a photo of Lily to Mads, she posts it on her Instagram story, which like totally, totally melts my heart. So with that, um, I love you guys. I love all of you. Thank you for being here, for supporting OKSIS, for supporting me becoming a mom, for supporting Mads, for supporting us, for supporting the entire sisterhood. It means more to me than you'll ever know. So follow me on Instagram at Scout Sobel. Follow Mads at Maddie Mayo and us together at OKSIS Podcast. Love you so much, sisters, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Hey there, I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. If there's one thing I know from both my personal and clinical experience, it's that we are really good at comparing ourselves to others. We tend to get stuck in the unhelpful narratives that play on repeat in our minds, and we struggle to set boundaries and create healthy love. Each week, I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife, mother, and business owner to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you you change the dialogue in your life. Tune in every Thursday to I'm Not Your Shrink wherever you listen to podcasts. While I'm not your shrink, I am still human and I'm excited for us to be in our vulnerability and humanness together.